0: Today we are reading from Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to 40. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And wiped them from and wiped them with her hair of her head, and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, "If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner." And Jesus answering, said to him, "Simon, I have something to say to you." And he answered, "Say it, teacher." This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated.
1: All right. Good morning. It's uh, great to see you and to be here with you this morning. Um, my name is Dave. I'm the, uh, the le- lead pastor here at Redemption Tucson. And um, if you're new or, or you've never heard me preach before, um, again, first, m- m- welcome. And then secondly, I also just want to let you know I have a stutter. And so it'll kind of come in and out as I, as I preach. And just want to make sure that you know what that is and where it's coming from. Um, we have uh, quite a bit to get into this morning. But um, before we do, before we get into um, our, our time in God's Word, I, I, um, I do want to ask you, if you have a Bible with you, turn to Luke chapter 7, as we just read. And if you don't have a copy of God's Word um, with you this morning, would you hold your hand up high and keep it up? And um, somebody will get you one. Okay, so we want to make sure everyone has a Bible with them. And if you don't own one, that you can keep this and make it yours. Y en español, si quiere la Biblia y no tiene, por favor levanta su mano y diga español. Y si no tiene ninguna Biblia, esto es un regalo a usted. Y esta mañana estamos en Lucas capítulo siete. Um, so again, we um, want to make sure everyone has a copy of God's Word that they can read and follow along with, and um, please do keep it. If you take one every week and you have like eight at home, um, you can go ahead and bring them back, um, or you can give them out to people that want them, and not like the Goodwill or something where they're like, do we want this or not? I mean, make sure someone wants it, and then give it to them. Um, so a couple things, just I want to highlight and kind of um, it just kind of came to mind. I don't always do all these things. But um, um, one is just to acknowledge, I know some folks are sick. Actually, I got a family member not here sick this morning. But one guy, um, M- Matthew Paulson, who's on the setup team, and that's a team that often is, like, in the shadows. Like, they do a lot. They set everything up and tear it all down. Well, I get here, and he was already here long before me and getting things set up. And he was sick. He went home. But I thought, man, what a what a cool just – Picture of service and, and he was like man i got I'm heading out of here but I'm not well, but I did want to come in and kind of help you know get things set up so I just thought that was so cool and encouraging and wanted to um, you know just yeah highlight highlight that and um, also we had a parents' class yesterday, so if you missed it, sorry um, but no it's actually available online um, all the notes and the, and that that talk if you're interested, you can jot it down even on a connect card. We could get those out to you, but it was incredibly helpful in shaping. So Dr. Tim Johansson, who did an all-of-life interview, which again, you can hear that as well online, um, he led through that. It was about a three-hour class, and um, it was riveting, Um, but I mean, it honestly was just incredibly helpful. So um, again, thank you. uh, Thank you, Tim, for that, and um, again, just I know tons of us were incredibly encouraged by that. Um, Amen? If you're there. So um, lastly, announcement is I forgot to m- mention this. This kind of theme is even shown up in my own marriage. You know, my bad. Um, but um, I'm actually going out of town for a couple weeks um, in a few weeks, and I'll be going to Lagos, Nigeria. And I tend to like have these great things going on, just forget to tell important people in my family that I'm doing them, like my wife. No, this time she knew. Um, we definitely consulted. But the elders, even, we were talking about, and they're like, wait, what? When? And um, yeah, so we as a church are gospel-centered and outward-focused. And that's, um, that's us here locally in Tucson as well as throughout the world and um, around Redemption um, so throughout the world is God's people. That's something that, that, that is central to Jesus' life, work, and ministry. And then Redemption Church as a whole is um, we say that and we embrace that. And so one of the church, um, one of the outward focus expressions that, that we're a part of is church planting. And that's true here locally, that's true around Arizona, around the U.S., and around the world. And we um, don't always claim every church plan. It's like, hey, that's our church plan, and we did that, and we did that. But we get to partner with. And so there's a church, a vibrant church in Lagos, Nigeria, um, called City Church. Um, that's, uh, I have to be really careful with that. So you, that's why I really emphasize it. Um, and, um, and they are, um, they're doing some great things and, and, and we, along with some other churches, um, and other networks got to help be a part of planting that. And so I get to go to help support and encourage and learn from, uh, that. So I'll be excited to share when, when I get back, but also wanted to make sure I, let you all know, like my church family, about that exciting uh, aspect. And some other people in our congregation are doing a lot of things. So we're working on making that stuff more known. All right? So, um, but now we do, and I would definitely covet your, your prayers and uh, just ex- excited for, for that time. So now let's go ahead and get into uh, Luke 7 together, right? we got a ton to cover, and I'm really um, excited for what the Lord has in store for us this morning. So let's pray. Lord, we do invite you—not um, that you're not here, but Lord, that our posture is is one of expectation and of and of um, having our eyes turned on you as we look at your word, um, Lord. Through your Spirit, we ask that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to see your good news on display, to see the person and the character of God in and through and most clearly displayed through Jesus. And Lord, specifically today, how you interact with different types of people. So Lord, we pray that we would be shaped um, and and, and changed and sent by, uh, Lord, as we again come together under your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we heard read, there's there's this incredible story. um, It's a true story displayed in Luke chapter 7 verses 36 through 50 that we're going to walk through. And it's it's this, it's this picture of three primary characters. And if you've ever read this or you know, heard about it or something, again, we have a tendency to hear like bits and pieces of the story and kind of be like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, I got that, and then kind of m- move on from there. But there's a, a lot that we see about Jesus and about what it means to relate with God and relate with one another and relate with his people and relate with the outside world. And we see all these things in this in this, in this snapshot of a, of, a, of a story that we get to engage in this morning together. And so what's been happening, if you remember, even in Luke chapter 7, right before this, right? Jesus had just healed somebody, raised him from the dead, and, and that was a couple of wounds. Weeks ago, we got to look at that, and, and, and it was this. Um, again, we just see some new insights into Jesus's character, into how he relates with with people, and and, and then this um, this morning, as we're now in a new a new section of Luke chapter seven, as we walk through this series, "Love Walked Among Us," um, we again remember what's been happening. Okay. Jesus has had this entourage following him, like thousands of people have heard of these things he's done. He's, com- he's performed miracles. He said some incredibly profound and authoritative and shaping things. And and, and and so people are kind of scratching their heads and they don't know what to do with him. Some are skeptical. Some are intrigued. Some are in awe. And, and so what we see this morning is we're going to look at, again, the three primary characters in this story. And again, I don't want to use that as if it were a made-up story or a myth, but as we read it with kind of new eyes as as a real-life story, okay, we're going to kind of walk through it this way. We're going to look at each of the three primary characters, okay, where you have a a desperate woman with a really shady reputation, and then you have a well-respected religious leader who's hosting a party. And then lastly, you have a compassionate but mysterious inner guest, okay? And that's Jesus. But again, we just think, oh, Jesus, but he's mysterious. And there's some stuff that he does that is head scratching. So that's how we're going to walk through it. We're going to walk through each of those primary characters. So first we're going to look at the woman, all right? And we just heard about her there, but the woman is an uninvited, desperate party crasher. Okay, so with that, and that's what's happening. She just shows up on the scene out of the blue and let's look at her and kind of dig into her story. So pick up with me now, In chapter 7, I'm going to read verse 36 again. It's one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. So that's Jesus. So he was invited to dinner at this Pharisee's house. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And we'll get into what that means and what that looks like to recline at table. But now we zone in or zoom in on this woman. Behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner... When she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Okay, so do you picture this scene? Right, the author here, Luke is clear to say she's a sinner. And even later, Jesus, refers to her as a sinner, and he says her sins are many. All right, so he doesn't church it up, doesn't kind of shy away from this. And, and the language there, even the word for sinner that's used, is clearly um, there, there's an aspect of sexual immorality there. A okay, sexual sin, which in our day and in that day is 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 serious, right? It is not something you walk around with with a, with a you know. If any of you read the scarlet L- 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 letter or something like that, you know you know this idea of what it looks like to be to be kind of um, you know to 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 feel like everyone's everyone knows you and and, and kind of steers their kids away from you. And that's this woman. Okay, she's um, likely even again the language used here likely a prostitute. So all the more in our day and in that day, this is, this is, this is not something that's respected. And yet she comes crashing into this party. Now, something I just want to do, kind of maybe say pause before, before I forget, is I do want to give some clarity, because I admit, I even kind of looked into this some and was like, oh, where? So this woman in Luke 7 is not Mary, Lazarus's um, sister. So if you know about Mary and Martha, in the other accounts, in, um, this same scene happens. So in m- 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 Matthew 26, Mark 14, and John 12... The same kind of scene happens where a woman comes and falls at Jesus' feet and pours oil on them and then wipes his feet with, with her hair. Well, those accounts, those other three, take place in Bethany, which is closer to Jerusalem in the south. And this, we know, took place in, um, closer up north in Capernaum and in, in, in Maine up there. So one, okay, that's just helpful for us to know kind of the different pieces of the story. And this isn't Mary... Magdalene or Mary, the, the sister of Lazarus and Martha. Um, it's, it's an unnamed woman, right? But again, she's known by her re- reputation. And, and yet something else that's important is um, th- this kind of m- crazy scene happens more than once with Jesus. And that's just, that's something, again, I, I confess as I even prepared this and I wrote, I just took for granted Because there's, again, as we even look here, there's a desperation there, okay? So first, let's acknowledge here, this woman is a sinner. She's not acceptable, and no one's having her over to their house. No one's kind of having the kids bounce on her knee, all right? And yet, she comes crashing into a party. Why would she do that? What would would lead someone, and I want us to even be thinking uh, this morning about ourselves, perhaps, if we view ourselves that way, and then also others that we put in that, category what would lead her to come crashing into this incredibly unsafe place a house full of pharisees the most religious judgmental in kind of from cultural standards have it all together and get it all right kind of context okay they're in the these are the the country club boys and she comes crashing into this party what would lead her to do that she's desperate she knows her, 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 her desperate need. And she's heard about Jesus. And she comes crashing in, and when she encounters him, she just has reckless abandon. Now, now, now first, okay, before we look at her worship, let's just consider, again, a couple things right now. I, so I want us to be thinking this morning, okay, as you kind of think about this and look, look at me. First of all, for those of us who don't feel like we relate with this person and we have others that come to mind in this context. What kind of unsafe places do we place ourselves in? As a church, how do we create an atmosphere that's, that's not a safe place for someone like this to come and experience uh, good news, forgiveness, acceptance? Where is, where, how do we put out unwelcome mats to people that come to mind that says, ah, oh, this, this is, few, you, you can't really come over to my house. You can't be around, around my kids, right? The, in our heads, in our confessional faith, we might say, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, Jesus' message is for everyone, but in real life relationship, it's like, no, 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 not for, right? People come to mind, and again, I, I, what is it that we do? And this isn't just to kind of wag the finger, but I, I pray that through the Spirit we would consider or to, how, how might we change how we relate with one another? How might we change what our, our gatherings look like? Even again, and there's this, but even at our, at our parent class, I was thinking about this yesterday. Are there different demographics, the way I relate with people, who I sit with, all this stuff? Are there people that would come here and would wonder, oh, this isn't for me? I'm not going to ask a question, or I'm not going to engage. Are there things in my RC, my, our group that we host in our house, are there just is there language that we use and postures and, 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 and ways our face turns when we talk about certain things that would communicate something different than what Jesus does with this woman? And then again, secondly, I just want to say, because I think all of us have a bit of this sinful woman even the Pharisee, right? We'll get to him in a minute. And, 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 and now, come on, he, he doesn't, um, he's arrogant and mean and prideful because deep down we all know, right, that the bully on the playground is the most scared, um, insecure kid, right? And, and so the, the Pharisee that we adopt and the ways we come up in ivory towers and look down on others is, at some point we know there's something we don't want to be found out. Right? And that's in our relationships with other people and our relationship with God. And so the other part as we look at her is I just want to encourage Jesus is a safe place. And when we really understand the good news of Jesus, his, his power and authority, right? He has way more than all these religious people in this table and what he does with that. As he says, Come to me. I welcome you. I'm a safe place. I deal with sin. I don't just overshadow it or kind of sk- skirt and say, oh, whatever, you know, two eats his own. Everyone's, everyone doesn't no, He says, he says her sins, which are many, but he also welcomes her and, and restores her. And so look at what she does. There's this, this desperate, reckless abandon in her worship, as we just read, right? She falls at his feet. She weeps. She pours oil. Okay. What she's doing there, just so we don't miss this, is the oil was her escape plan, all right. This is like I I, I grew, grew up in a home with a, a single mom. You know, some of you guys know some of my story. I don't want to dwell on all that, but it's this picture. If there's somebody that comes to mind, this is like her life savings. This is she's been working two jobs, right, and saving, working overtime on the holidays, saving up so she could get herself, or in some of our case, her family, right, out of this, out of this, this place. She's been working hard to say, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna change my station. And yet, when she falls at Jesus' feet, she sees um, just an acceptance that she can do no other than to even pour that, her exit strategy out, in worship. And what does Jesus say to her? In the very last verse, he says, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Again, okay, now we'll kind of tie some dots together with, with Jesus and what it meant for this woman. But don't miss this fact, okay, that a desperate party crasher, sinful, okay, cast to the sides by society, saw something in Jesus that caused her to worship with reckless abandon. And then this next character that we look at is this man, Simon. Okay, so before we kind of connect some dots with this woman and how Jesus interacted with her, let's look at this man, Simon, kind of in stark contrast. So read now in verse 39 about this this host. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner, and Jesus, answering, said to him, uh, Simon, I have something to say to you. Uh-oh, right? And he answered, say it, teacher. So who we have here, this second character, is this Pharisee. He's a suspicious, well-respected religious authority. Now, I just want to be honest here. I don't know if anyone else here is in this, in this case. When I first read this story, I tend to empathize a bit or sympathize with with uh, with 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 Simon, because I'm like, man, he was just being kind and generous. He opened his home, right? It's like, hey, I let you come into my house, and now you're gonna talk trash about how I r- r- raise my kids or about my, you know, my drapes or my wife's cooking or whatever. You know, like you're gonna you're gonna come in and kind of comment on these things. That's not cool, and it feels like that's what Jesus is doing, right? Like, Jesus is kind of this ungrateful guest that just shows up on the scene. But again, there's some, there's some hints here that Luke puts in that we would likely miss here, that, that, that this, this, this well-respected religious host is suspicious, because he says some things. He says to Jesus, um, well, or he says about Jesus, right? He says, well, if this man were a prophet, and in Jesus' response, that we'll get to here in a second, in Jesus' response, we get some more clues that, that this guy is, is suspicious. And again, I think some of us here tend to approach Jesus or think about him in this kind of way that we're like, well, I'm going to just expect the worst, and I'm going I'm to pretend like I'm, I'm doing good here, but I'm, I'm like, once something comes up, I'm, I'm out. right? Once, once I'm, I'm just looking for an opportunity to say, I, I knew it. Right into rung write him off. And that's what he's doing here. The fact that he invites him into his home and and he says, if this man were a prophet, that's a loaded word. He's saying, I knew he wasn't. Again, in Luke earlier in verse 16, it says that someone confesses this man is a prophet, right? And we know even that's a short, that's, that's kind of heading the bar too low. This is God with us. Right, God has visited us. God is among us in the flesh and the blood, and yet he says, see, he's not even a prophet because he would have known what's going on here. He would have known this shady person who's touching him. And so Jesus interacts with him, and this is what he says in verse 44 through 47. I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little." Okay, so the fact that this 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 host Simon withheld all this stuff from Jesus, and that day showed he wasn't trying to honor him. He wasn't trying to have him in his home because he says, "Listen, if you if you had a respected rabbi in your home, all right, you would you would um you would you would give you would give oil, you would give water to wash feet, you would give a kiss as as a sign of respect." And yet he withheld all that stuff because again, he's suspicious. And so that's kind of the context around this dinner, and Jesus exposes that. All right, and, I'm, and, and I'm not going to dig into this too much, but at the same time with Simon, we see that Jesus in his relationship with Simon is still lo- loving, because okay? he, he rebukes him. He calls him out. He puts him in his place. And yet, and yet he does it in a way that's not just kind of put you in your place and then th- throw you out. He engages him. He invites him into this, this process in, of revealing his good news, of revealing what it means to be a follower of Christ, what, it, what the gospel means, Okay, who Jesus really is as people. And again, probably like some of us here this morning are wondering, who's Jesus? What do I do about this whole thing? What does it mean to follow him? Is he safe? Is he trustworthy? Is he powerful right we wouldn't say is he a prophet but that's is he powerful can he do anything about my life about my station about where i'm at who you know what's he worth and jesus doesn't just throw simon out but he reveals some of these things about himself but he also calls him out okay so sometimes in church i just want to let this be known it's not all about just hey let me just encourage you and comfort you again without calling out and recognizing the sin in love jesus always exposes the sin and then reveals how he deals with it. All right, and so in this next section here, we see Jesus more clearly. But first, having looked at this Pharisee, we see that proud suspicion leads to further separation from God and to a cold judgmental posture toward his people. So again, some of us in here need to consider, how am I more like Simon? okay, how, how do I tend to view the world around me? How do I tend to view God even? Well, if you were really God, right? Some of us are too proud to even say that, to admit that that's what we're thinking, but we have this posture. Well, if you are this and we, we're judgmental and, 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 and we're proud and we're suspicious, right? And we, and we just kind of push God away and then that translates in being cold, judgmental, cruel toward others especially those whose brokenness is more visible than our own, right? And so that's what we see in Simon. And now, how does this third character, this, this, this kind of mysterious and yet compassionate dinner guest, what does he do? How do we learn more about the gospel as we look at Jesus? So again, let's look at this, this boldness of the Woman, if you could put up there the, the, the passage that we read at the very beginning of what happened here. Okay, so again, this Pharisee, you know, hosted, hosted here, and then in verse 37, this woman of the city who was a sinner, she learned that Jesus was reclining a table, right? So he's got a reputation. Again, just think, like everyone in here has something comes to mind when you think of Jesus, right? Oh, I know that, you know, l- 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 Long-haired hippie, or you know, or oh, Jesus is my homeboy, or um, a, a guru, mystical figure that, or you know, if you ever seen that little figurine of the doing the thumbs up, you know, or whatever, and the bobblehead Jesus, or whatever, right, something comes to mind, right? And so she's heard that he's there, and she comes to mind, right? She learns that he's reclining at table at the Pharisee's house, and then she comes with an alabaster flask of ointment, standing behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. She wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. All right, let's just be real here. Some of us are probably thinking, that's gross. <laughs> All right, like, I don't know. I'm not really a foot guy myself, and um also, it's just like they walk around with open-toed shoes. They're, they're, they're dirty. I, um, if you've ever been to the F- Far East or different, different cultures, you always take your feet your, your shoes off when you enter a home. And often, um, I love this in East Asia, there were always sandals and there were always just a bunch there that you could put on because not everyone brought their own sandals, you know, B-Y-O-S, right? Like, you didn't show up with them. You just kind of put on some that were there because there were sandals often that you could wear in the home, and it was, it was because of what you walked in, right? You're walking in open-toed shoes, and, and, and especially, well, you know, anywhere, like what's in the streets, the sewage and different stuff, isn't you don't always want that in your home, right? And so, so that's the same kind of thing here. And yet, right, so there's that picture here. Again, that gives us an insight into this woman's reckless abandon, but, but also... We need to recognize there's an intimacy here, right? She's kissing his feet, wiping his feet with her tears, pouring oil, and then washing them with her hair. Like, you have to get pretty close to wash with your hair. And, and as Paul Miller, the author that we've kind of, again, we've explained kind of a tour guide through this, um, there's an intimacy here that would be uncomfortable for a man in any culture, including and even especially in this culture right here, in this day of what we're looking at. There's something there about him interacting with this woman in this way. A lot of people would be like, whoa, 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 like I've got, I've got boundaries. All right, I don't, I, I've got, I don't, I don't deal with, with people this way. This is uncomfortable. Now, I do want to acknowledge, and I'm going to come back to it a few times, But I, I, and this is a bit of a, a tangent but an important one. As I've poured over this and read and prayed about and considered our congregation and our culture and our day, there's something going on here that I think we need to acknowledge and recognize in Jesus' interaction with this woman. On the one hand, there is absolutely wisdom to be had, right, as men... As people in as husbands as men and women, right in this case it's a man and a woman waiting there is wisdom to be had right if it's hey yeah um you know we have at our office we have a line that you can put down because if you know people were doing pastoral counseling or things like that right we we it's we live we're in kind of a fist bowl as some of you who have been there it's like right there everything's out there in the open so we asked them to install a, a blind so there could be some privacy some security and safety but but there's also a door with a window that's always there that no one can really look in and stare and it'd be awkward if they were but it, there's also a level of 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 kind of being um being forthright and avoiding the appearance of sin so I want to say that, that that's there. But we've talked about this before, and I think we need to hammer on it a bit more. Like, a lot of us hide behind that. And hear me on this. A lot of us throw compassion to the wind and hide behind boundaries and wisdom. Jesus doesn't do that. All right? Jesus pushes through what other people will think. This woman coming to him, needing compassion, desperate. He doesn't just say, "Oh, whoa, whoa, I don't do that. Sorry, I don't. I I have a no-hug policy. I'm, I'm. I know you need to be hugged by a brother in Christ. In our context, in his case, by your Lord and Savior. But I'm. I don't. I don't do that. Like I don't know. High five. You know, knuckle something. I don't. And what? What is that? Why is that? What? And and something is again. We live in kind of a porn sexual, uh, sin-saturated culture. And and a lot of us have adopted that and even allowed what it means to be compassionate, what it looks like to be God's loving people, God's messengers of good news through our words and through our actions and through how we relate with people. And and we've, we've just allowed that to be hijacked by this idea. Well, how is Jesus able to engage this woman in this intimate, I would say in some, in some of our view, even seductive way, right? And yet he's not lusting. There's not a hint of sexual sin in him. The easy answer is yes, he's Jesus. All right, we're not. Okay, yes, that's true. And we need to acknowledge that and recognize it. But we can't hide behind it. There's something else here. And we've talked about this before. There's a love that's even greater than, than a sensual love. And, and in our case and how we relate with one another, it could be defined as like a brother and sister love. Okay, Danae Pierre, who leads Surge and she's the executive director and a good friend of mine, she wrote an incredible article. We've had it. I've qu- quoted and I've read from it before, so I don't have to now. I can just, now I'll say there's this article I read and then next time I'll just say, as I always say, right? And that's how it works. But no, she, um, she, she writes about this and that even some of us, now hear me, even in our husband and wife relationships, we need to recover brother and sister relational love, right? Like sensual love is not the highest form of love. And Jesus sees that. And in Jesus's relationship with this woman, it's an even greater love and it's an appropriate love. It's a sinless kind of love. But it's still an incredibly intimate love. So, again, I want us to hear on this. There should be a level of discomfort and even confusion. (laughs) Well, what do I do with this? I'm not going to. I don't know the exact answer. Oh, go do this always, or adopt this p- policy, or do this or do that. We need to walk in the spirit. For those of us who are m- married, we need to be 100% forthright, right? We need full disclosure in our calendars, and texts, and phones, and all right. The, none of that is not true, right? We that yeah. Bring all that in, and also have a have a prayer that Lord, if if I have such strict boundaries that I can't be compassionate toward brothers, or in this case, I think we more need to emphasize toward sisters in Christ or toward women created in God's image, then maybe I still need to walk with a certain level of uh, boundaries and caution, but maybe I need to be quicker to acknowledge that's because of my own weakness, right? That, that's not because, oh, they're, they're all out there trying to get me Right? And sometimes it comes off that way, but more of, man, Lord, I pray that I will mature and grow enough to be a good brother in Christ. Lord, a good agent of your compassion and your love and your good news. That's something that we see as we look at how Jesus interacts with this woman. This is weird in their day too. (laughs) Okay? And then something else now. I want to ask, what comes to mind when you picture this whole story we've been walking through? What's the image you have? Is it like this? Go ahead and throw this image up here that we have for us to look at. Okay, first of all, hopefully it's not like, you know, surfer Pacific Beach Jesus, because that's like, I didn't know he was from like Iceland. You know, that's, um, that's not what Jesus looked like, and actually, Stephen and I worked hard, we were texting, we are Googling, as Tim mentioned yesterday, Dr. Google. A lot of us uh, trust too much that we just can type in on Google. But this is, and commentators agree, the idea of what was going on. The way they look, right? Long, actually he's like ginger there. He looks like Paul Bell. Um, um, If you know Paul, he's not here, but I'm sure he'd be all right with that. Um, That's not what he looked like. I want to be quick to say that because the like whitewashed church too often has kind of presented this idea and it's just not accurate all right however what they're doing in the way they're reclining that is accurate in that day they had adopted it from the greek influence and it would be if you picture like a u-shaped kind of table that would be lower on the ground and everyone engaging would be facing inward and kind of eating like picture on your elbow Um, Any Seinfeld people in here that grew up, that picture that you've seen of like George on the couch, um, he's in his underwear actually. But uh, anyway, sorry to put that in your mind. It's it's anyway, but it's kind of like that. They're like reclining on their elbow like this and then kind of eating and interacting with one another over here. And no one's really concerned with what's going on down at their feet. All right. That's kind of your feet are away from you, kind of downward. All right. And all the activity is here. So something that Jesus does when he interacts with Simon and with this woman is important for us to have this right image in mind. So now let's pick up again and see exactly what he does here. In verse 44, Then, turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house... You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, right? And we've already read this in terms of Jesus was exposing Simon. He's exposing Simon's religious judgment and lack of faith and lack of openness and lack of genuine relationship with him. And he's revealing that Simon's judgment is, 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 is exposing a, a separation from God. But how does that, um, what do we see here in his relationship with the woman, well, again, go ahead and put that other image back up there if you can. Right? It's his, so Jesus is here, right? He's like, you know, chilling, right? Arm on, on, on his elbow. And he's looking at Simon. And then he turns away from him. It's like he turns away from Simon and looks at the woman and then talks to Simon. He says, Simon, do you see this woman? All eyes turn to this woman. And then everything else that Jesus says now are looking at this woman. And then when Jesus affirms this woman, when Jesus restores her, when Jesus forgives her sin, when Jesus um, when Jesus lavishes upon her the full good news of his gospel, that she's not just, oh yeah, okay, your sins are forgiven now, <laughs> get out of my face, dis- you disgust me, but has this compassionate um, and he's given her value and he's elevated her station and her status before the most unsafe, judgmental uh, group of people she could ever be and he does all that for her. It's while he's talking to Simon but forcing everyone to look at her. So what do we see in how Jesus relates? Okay, he gives such value and worth to this woman. If it was the way we would just picture they're all on a table and he could be talking and whatever, then it's just kind of like, okay, we all kind of recognize this uncomfortable person that's now come in our midst, but we can just kind of pretend they're not there and, you know, talk. You know, it's like the adults say we can just talk among ourselves and the kids are down at our feet playing and we're not going to really acknowledge them. But when Jesus turns toward her and then makes it um, absolutely unavoidable that everyone else has to look at her, he turns what is otherwise public scorn into a beautiful example of worship. He turns this woman who her whole life has been defined by, just usher your kids away, don't, don't talk about that, try to hide. And, and he exposes her sin, right? Everyone looks at her and he says, her sins, which are many, right? He's not overlooking her sin, but then he talks about her worship and he says, you, you, you're, you're saved, your faith has, has saved you. And, and, and what he's really saying there is, you've truly seen who I am, and now you're saved. That's something about Jesus. If you're here this morning and you've known him for a long time, you've called yourself a follower of Christ, a Christian, you have a faith, but you've perhaps overlooked who he is and how he relates with people. This is a clearer picture of what he does and how he relates and and again see the fullness of salvation and in, in your in your understanding of yourself when you say or sing songs or think in your mind or pray god i'm saved thank you that i'm saved as we see in this interaction of jesus it is not just you get a out of hell free card and now again, God's like, okay, there you go, fine, you're forgiven, but get out of my way. Like a dad who's giving a kid a allowance and he's like, all right, come on, go on, move on. But it's more of a picture of, yeah, hey, here's, here's your allowance, your debt that you owe me, right? Parents, it's, it's massive. No, it's, it's even bigger than that, okay? Like our debt to God, our sin debt that we've taken on, we, we deserve death. And yet he says, hey, listen, that debt is forgiven, Now, here, let me give you this. I'll keep giving it. My cup doesn't run out. And then it's as though he's saying, now let's talk about how you're going to spend it. Right? There's a picture in Jesus that is so much fuller than we tend to be comfortable with. His salvation is full, rich, restorative, beautiful, caring, compassionate. Again, he turns other scorn into a positive example And he shows that what the world rejects, he redeems and restores, and he puts on display. And something else, the last thing before we close here, is we see in this a picture of the cross. Okay, we have this cross up here every week, right? And we can take it for granted what happened on the cross. Well, throughout the Gospels, we get foreshadowings of what Jesus did on the cross. And sometimes it's hard for us to relate Jesus' death on a cross to our everyday lives, to our rubber meets the road, dirt under your fingernails, real life brokenness that we experience. And so we often struggle. Okay, hear me. I hope you're with me right now because I let the word pastor you right now, minister to you right now. We can walk through life and can think, I know Jesus died for my sins and I know I'm good with God and all that, but how does that relate to I'm, I'm a sophomore in high school and I don't really feel like there's a safe table to sit at. There's, there's um, my own family I don't feel like gets me. I'm kind of a black sheep. In, in my workplace, in, in my marriage, in my relationships, in my friendships, I just feel like you know, what Jesus did doesn't really apply. Well, look, what he does here is he takes the scorn that this woman is experiencing and he takes it on himself. And then he takes the privilege and the acceptance that he has and he gives it to her. Right? If he, he could have taken the safe route. He could have said... "Um, just kept on going, like, okay, Simon, whatever. He could have not mentioned what Simon said in quiet, right? He could have just let Simon go on and keep on being a judgmental jerk and just kind of let bygones be bygones and just go, but he didn't, right? And if he would have done that, he, he even could have further deflected the scorn onto this woman, but he didn't do that. He did draw attention to her, but then as you see as the story goes on, the scorn becomes about him. Well, if he really knew about this woman, I guess he's not really a prophet. And then how does it end? People are further um, disgusted and suspicious with him. And they say, who is this guy that he even forgives sins? Like, who does he think he is? That ultimately leads to his death. But he's okay with that. He takes her scorn on himself. Then again, he elevates her station. He humbles himself. He, 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 he moves lower. He takes the shame and the scorn that she had, this known prostitute, and he takes it on himself. So as we close, what do we do with this? First, again, every one of us in here is a bit of a Simon and a bit of a sinful woman, right? We're a bit of an unwelcomed party crasher, and we're a bit of a judgmental, skeptical heater, l- So what do we do with this? For those of us here who lean more on the side of like this woman, we walk around with a scarlet letter, perhaps some of us hoping not to get found out, some of us having been found out and and longing for that to never come into the light or just trying to run away from that. Well, what we see in, in Jesus when we say there's nothing to prove and no one to impress, it's like this. It's not just a cute phrase we throw around. It's real life. It's, man, in my worst moment, I am elevated and forgiven. Jesus is safe. Okay, he's compassionate. He doesn't just skirt your sin away, but he deals with it. He takes it on himself, and then he restores you fully. And then for those of us that, again, have that Simon that we lean on more. First, again, it's not just because we're just so good and it's hard to see others. It, for all of us, okay, hear me on this. All of us in here It's because somehow we're not in touch. Either we've forgotten, we haven't ever looked at, God hasn't exposed it. For some of us here, I pray that he would would rub our face in, lovingly rub our face in the reality of our brokenness, our deservedness to be scorned. The fact that all of us, if all our stuff, our thoughts, our words, our actions, what we've had in our heart, if that were just put on full display like this woman, hers happened to be a bit more public than some of us, then we would be shamed, scorned. Okay, so, so what, what do we do with this? Well, for all of us, we look at Jesus' love. We look that, 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 that on our best day, we need his forgiveness, his acceptance. We need his exchange. We need him to take our scorn. And on our worst day, we have his forgiveness, his acceptance, his compassion, his love. So as we respond and we look the person and the character of Jesus. For all of us, we understand his love poured out toward us. As we respond, as we sing and pray, as we come forward and take communion, consider yourself at his feet, your sin fully exposed, him taking your scorn, him offering you his acceptance and his love and his forgiveness. And then from there, we consider, even as we, in a few moments or in a in a I don't know, 20 minutes as we get sent out in the benediction. How can that change where now we get to be agents of his love? A last picture I'll just give that just popped to mind I don't want to leave is what do you think this woman's like and how she relates with other people? I wish we knew the rest of her story. I wish we knew the rest of her life. How powerful of an agent of love is she? How powerful of an evangelist is this woman? How powerful of of, of a demonstration of love and compassion is this woman? Again, as we more appropriately understand God's love and forgiveness, his gospel toward us, then and only then are we rightly equipped to be agents, communicators, demonstrators of his good news. Let's pray together. Lord, again, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time we've had together. Lord, I pray that Again, through your spirit, um, you would encourage those of us who need to be encouraged, Lord, that you would convict those of us who need to be convicted. And I'm sure all of us need some of both. So now as we respond, we submit ourselves to, Lord, your your work in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.